I'm amazed to see so many of you here this morning, because as I please, um, I remember that they told me I'd be speaking this morning to the I Don't Have a Cabin Club. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to look at something that I think we probably need to look at and something we need to pay attention to if we're in that club and uh, if that's who we are. Because we're always looking ahead to those things where we can get away for the weekend, we can do this, we can do that, and so on. And believe it or not, that is not where joy comes from. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you this morning, to James chapter 1. And um, I'm going to read just verses 2, 3, and 4. But first of all, I want you to know that in the bulletin there's a purple page and there's an extensive outline on the purple page and that might help you follow the message this morning. But I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word joy. What picture, mental picture develops in your mind when you hear joy and you hear a discussion on joy or you hear someone talking about joy? Joy shows up in a variety of ways, but almost every Christian wishes that joy was in greater supply. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book and shares with us from the bottom of his heart. He was a regular working man. He was trying to support a family. He was trying to put life together as you and I try to put life together. And he was taking care of an aging mother who became his main responsibility in many ways after Jesus Christ went on the road and began to preach. But he also was a man who studied very hard and he had some real discipline, and so he was growing as a person and he was always learning as a person, so he became eventually the leader in the church in cosmopolitan Jerusalem. As he guided that church through its early days, <clears throat> he was guiding that church through some very precarious days, and he saw more physical hardship, and he saw most, more social persecution. He probably saw more political turmoil than you and I are ever going to see in our lives, even though we are watching something in Washington these weeks that is just amazing. But eventually, not only did he go through a life that was very difficult at times and very challenging at times, not only did he pursue a lot of different choices at times as they came into his life and he had to handle them and deal with them, but eventually even the high priest entered into his life by taking him out beyond the city and having him stoned to death for his immovable commitment to his Lord Jesus Christ. So his life in many ways wasn't like ours. But his life in many ways was filled with choices, choices like ours. And so he could understand what we're going through in life very easily if we were able to have a conversation with him because his life had many changes. His life had one challenge after the other. And his life was just filled with opportunities that sometimes didn't develop and didn't work out as he thought. And when you, when you know something about him and when you realize what he had to go through as he went through life and that his life wasn't very easy at all, you want to know what he has to say about life. You want to know what he has to say about joy and what he has to say about peace and what he has to say about persistence. <clears throat> and so we're going to start with James chapter 1 and we're going to look at verse 2 this morning as we begin this discussion. 
And, and it starts out this way. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if you've ever heard a message on this passage, and if you've been going to church for quite a few years, you probably have, and you'll notice we always start as pastors pointing out the fact that it's not if you face trials, it's whenever you face trials. And when James says it's whenever you face trials, you just know he understands life. But still, when you read something like that, you begin to ask yourself, how can someone who's been acquainted with so many life-changing decisions, so much uncertainty, so much grief and worry and has faced so many daily challenges like all the rest of us, how can someone like that speak of the many trials of life as occasions for joy? And the answer, I believe, ultimately is this. You and I have to rid ourselves of the idea of thinking of joy as simply happiness with the volume turned up. Let me say that again. You and I have to get it out of our heads that joy is simply happiness with the volume turned up. No, joy and happiness are altogether different. Happiness is something that comes and goes in our life like the wind. And it may be dictated by the weather, it may be dictated by the stock market, it may be dictated by our biochemistry, it may be dictated by what's going on at home with the kids, it may be dictated by what's going on at work, uh, and there's a hundred other variables that are coming into our life all the time that's beyond our control, and that affects our happiness level. But the fruit of the Spirit that we call joy is far less disrupted or destroyed by the expect, unexpected action of nature around us or the people around us or even our own actions as we go through life. As we go through life, we tend to live for the good feelings, the happy moments, the comfortable moments, and all of those things that we think are desirable. If you go home this afternoon and look at your calendar and look at the next month and the next month and the next month, there's probably things there on that calendar that you're looking forward to and you think, that's what I'm going to need and then I'll be happy. They are a precious part of what it is to be human and to be a child of God. But joy in the Bible is not the same as happiness or pleasure in fact, it's altogether different. Joy Davidman, who's the wife of uh, C.S. Lewis, has written several books. She's got one that she wrote on the Ten Commandments, and it's called Smoke on the Mountain. And she has an interesting quote in that book. She said, happiness is living for our own pleasure, and it is the least pleasurable thing a person can do. If his neighbors don't kill him in disgust, He's going to die slowly of boredom and lovelessness. So she goes on to say, we need to know desperately what the Bible says about joy. <clears throat> We're beginning to see what joy is not. Whenever you face trials, whenever you get into those struggles, whenever you get into that tension, God is at work. 
He wants us to understand that. God is doing something very important in your life and mine when those, those experiences come into our life. So we're beginning to see that joy is not the absence of disappointment or loss. Joy is not a life that's free of obstacles or pressure. Joy is not the absence of having to make tough decisions. Joy is not a shortcut to Jesus Christ without discipline. Joy is not the abundance of material things. Joy is not the ability to keep everything under control. And joy is not only pleasure, good feelings, and comfortable moments. In fact, James puts it this way. When you discover what life is really all about, you're going to find out that joy may come through struggle. It usually comes through trials, and it usually develops out of the testing times of life. Derek Adams would never be on anyone's needy list. In 1996, he won the 400-meter hurdles race in Atlanta to capture the Olympic gold medal an achievement very few have ever made. It was the greatest moment of his life, but soon afterward, it was probably about two weeks later, we began to read in the paper that he was suffering from depression. Derek had his first battle with depression when he was 13 years of age. That's how he got into track. At 13 years of age, a coach befriended him and got him involved in running, and it was running that made him forget about many of the problems and many of the things that were putting him under tension. And so he pursued athletics rigorously from that point on in his life because it kept him away from his depression. Soon he became the greatest hurdler in America. But the interesting thing is, even though he had all that going for him, a little bit later on in life, he went back and looked at it and he said, but there was always a discontent there. And he said, joy eluded me at every turn, and he always felt, however, that it was within his grasp. When he was in high school and he got into that bout of depression, as time went on, he thought, if I can only get out of high school and when I get to college, I'll be in a dorm, I'll be free, I'll be running, I'll be doing all the things I want and I can do it on my schedule and I can do it without parental discipline and all of that and I'll be happy. But he found out he, he wasn't. Then he thought, if I can only be the nation's best collegiate hurdler, that's going to be tremendous and I'll be happy. And he found out he wasn't. He said, if I could only own a new car, I need something that I own. I need something I possess. If I could only own a new car, and he had a, spe a specific car in mind, and he said, if I could only get my hands on something like that, I'd have the joy I'm looking for. And he got that car, and within a few weeks, he didn't have that joy. And then he was saying, if I only could buy a home, I need a home. And he bought the home. And Derek discovered that nothing in this life brought him joy. Not money, not fame, not drinking, not training, not self-help books. None of that. Not any of those things ever brought him the joy that he was looking for. In fact, he did admit some of those things, and we would admit it too, gave him some fleeting, pleasurable moments, but they never gave him the joy he was looking for. Well, what is joy? If you're in James and you do have a Bible with you, just go back a page to Hebrews chapter 12. 
And I want to share with you a key in the, on the whole thinking of where joy comes from. In chapter 12, beginning with verse 2, we read, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Joy is that rich and confident state of the soul that grows when you and I choose to live with a new perspective because we have entered into a new relationship. That's what it's basically saying when it says, if you're going to make it in life, if you're going to have joy in life, if you're going to get what you're shooting for in life, fix your eyes on Jesus. Writer B. Holland helps us understand this. He said, for a long time, it seemed to me, and I'm quoting him, that life was, was always getting ready to begin was always getting ready to begin, real life. But there was something always in the way. There was something to get through first. There was some unfinished business to deal with. There was some time that still had to be served. There was some debt yet to to be paid. And he thought, if I can just get those steps out of the way, my life would really begin. And then he says, one day... It dawned on me, the obstacles were my life. Can you understand that? Can you understand that for your life? Do you understand that right now you can be or you should be experiencing the joy of the Lord no matter where you are in your life at this time? Too many of us never see that possibility. And because we don't see that possibility, we keep postponing taking that step that could change our lives. Or taking that risk that would develop new relationships for us. Or risking ourselves to fully serve Jesus Christ. Because we don't see that, we don't pursue the dreams we've had in our hearts for years and years and years. Because we're just waiting to get past those obstacles so life can begin. Can you grasp? That all of that stuff that's going on in your life right now doesn't have to block the joy out of your life. And that it may actually be moving you in the direction that God wants you to go. And it may increase the possibilities for you of having real joy because you're in the hands of the one who has plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, in his his wise, tough love, God allows some stress. God allows some disappointment. God allows some struggles that you and I would never choose because some of those things that we call hindrances actually call up the passion you and I can have call up the commitment we ought to have, call up the potential and skill that we have, and make us strong. 
Because as James reminds us, God's ultimate ambition for us is that we grow in a relationship with him and become, as it says in verse 4, mature and complete, not lacking anything. God dreams of the day when you and I will seek above all else to be creatures not of comfort, but of character. People who view the obstacles of life as opportunities. People who have learned to trust rather than to doubt. People who have learned to give and to give when others are always taking. People who have learned how to build up others when others are always pushing people down. People who will admit that their failures don't have to deny them. They can still have the joy through the presence of the the Lord himself. God dares to think that we might become beings who live and look and love just a bit like him. And that we're the kind of people who can hope in the midst of struggle. We're the kind of people who can love in the midst of division. And we're the kind of people that can have even expectations when life is tough. Because joy comes as we become mature and complete in Jesus Christ. And that's why it says in Hebrews, if you're going to have joy, if you're going to be mature, if you're going to be complete, if you're not going to lack anything, if you're going to begin to have all that God intends for you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And persevere that relationship above all else. Because joy doesn't come from reading self-help books. And joy doesn't come from popping a few pills. Joy doesn't even come from listening to a good sermon or attending a weekend seminar. But it comes when we believe as the psalmist believe and gives it to us in Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Let's go back to Derek. Derek eventually was able to stand up in front of a group of people and say, after all of my success, I still felt like I was missing something. After looking for help and answers in many directions, a couple of fellows finally came into my life and they were pointing me to the person of Jesus Christ. And eventually I began to examine Jesus Christ for myself. And when I did, the first thing he got to was my heart. And when he got to my heart, he reminded me of the pride that was there and the sin that was there. One of the things that keeps us from joy is sin. That's why when David confesses in Psalm 51 and he's done with his confession and he knows everything is okay between his Lord and himself, he looks up and he says, now, joy, now give me the joy of my salvation again. Derek said he began to deal with that pride. He began to read the scriptures. He began to get direction. He began to see what Jesus was asking him to do. He said, I began to, to gradually change my perspective on life. And when I changed that perspective on life, somewhere down the road before I knew it, 
I started to have peace. And when the peace came over me, the joy of the Lord was mine. The joy I longed for all of my life was mine. Now, how can we experience that joy? Catherine Marshall writes in a book called A Closer Walk that Jesus drew men and women into the kingdom of God, and when he did, he promised them two things. He said, first of all, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have hardship, you're going to have danger wherever you go, but secondly, you're also going to have joy. In other words, our work and our relationships and our struggles and our trials of many kinds should be constantly leading us to the person of Jesus Christ. There is where our healing comes from. There's where we experience mercy. There's where we experience and learn about grace. There is where a new understanding comes into our lives and into our minds. There is where we get the highest wisdom. It's in Jesus Christ. There is where we get hope. There is where we find out we're never alone. And there is where we understand that we're always in strong hands. And when we begin to get a grip on those truths and when those truths are a real part of our lives, that's where joy comes from. Because joy is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ and joy comes when we find meaning in something much bigger than our own agenda and discover that we can be part of something that is eternal. Joy is living not for our own pleasure, but for the pleasure of someone else. Joy is doing the will of God and in knowing that he will be pleased with what we do. Bill Donahue, who's written several books, often tells the story of a variety of interesting people you and I would never meet. In his book called In the Company of Jesus, he tells the story of Craig Wilson, who's a reporter for the USA Today. He writes articles almost daily in that newspaper. Craig Wilson was in the habit of taking his neighbor's car to the inspection station each year. They lived in, in Pennsylvania, and if you live in Pennsylvania, before you can get license plates, before you can get a new tag or whatever you want to call it, you have to take your car in every year and get an inspection, and they inspect several areas of the car. And um, Wilson said he had some he had a couple next to him who were getting up in years, so he always volunteered to take their car into the inspection sta- station. He says, it's a, lift I give, it's, a, it's a gift I give them, one of those little random acts of kindness. So on one particular morning at 6.55 a.m., July, he enters lane four, and there's two or three cars waiting for him, so he waits out his turn. When he gets up to the inspector, the inspector comes back and says, Hi, how are you? And Craig says, Fine. And then without thinking, he said, And how are you? And the inspector says, I'm blessed. A little bit of pause. And he said, I really am blessed. The response startled Wilson. There he was, as he looked at this man, an attendant who was dealing with more than likely, people who didn't want to be there and who had one prejudice in mind driving into this this tune-up because 
they didn't want their car inspected and they didn't want to waste this time. And he says, and this man says, I'm blessed. He was driving back to the apartment and he said, I couldn't get the man out of my mind. He said, I got into my own car so I could go to work to write the articles of the day. And he said, all the way to those articles, all the way to that office, he said, I began to think about why could this man say he was blessed? He wrote an article about it. And in the article, he said, why is it that some of the people who have the most in life never seem to be as happy as you and I think they should be? And then those who have the worst jobs, those who have the least in life seem to be the happiest. And he ended his article that day with this statement, why did the man feel blessed? How was it possible he could have joy? Now let me bring you to one more point. We all know John the Baptist, a rough and rugged man, lived very simply. Just think, he ate the same thing every day. And he wasn't in a nursing home. He preached out in the desert. Even when there were sandstorms, he preached. And he slept under the stars at night. Now, when we get into John 3, we remember verse 16, but I want to point you to verse 28. Here's what John says. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John says, that joy is now mine, and it's complete. He's here, and he must increase, and I must become less. John, in his humility, recognized Jesus Christ when he came on the scene, and he recognized Christ for who he was, and upon doing so, he lets us know he was filled with joy. You see, joy is not a, is not a feeling. Joy is a relationship. It's not a life of abundance. It's not a life without trials. It's not a life without challenges. It's not a life that's filled with only happy moments. It's a life that's got some discipline. And it's not a life of disobedience. It is a life with the one who pursues us with a passion. And it's a life with the one who goes with us through the stuff of life, no matter what it is you and I have to go through. And you say, well, I'm caught in a web of responsibilities, and you don't know the deep ruts that are in my life, or you don't know I've lost more than you can imagine as I've been going through life. John says, joy comes when we recognize who Jesus is, and when we really get a handle on the fact that we are his beloved, and we are the objects of his tireless, sacrificial, unconditional, relentless love. And therefore we stand ready to follow him one small step at a time. And we, we stand ready to give him little bits of our will. And we stand ready to follow his agenda rather than ours. 
And we stand ready to be faithful in many little things as we go through the course of each day and to look for his leading in everything that's going on and to trust what he's doing. Knowing that those around us probably won't even see what's going on in our lives. Because at first, when you begin to determine you're going to follow Jesus in that way, and you're going to be his no matter what, and you're going to see him even working in your trials, and you're going to see him coming into your struggles, and you're going to see that even though you've got to wait for some answers sometimes, God promises he's with you through all of that, and he's working out what's best for you and what's going to bring his kingdom glory. And you've got to handle on that. And you realize there's no sudden triumph, no sudden spiritual triumph even. But then when somebody asks someday, how are you doing? It'll just come out without you even thinking, I'm blessed. And they will walk away from you knowing that in your life, it's real. It's true. And they will think, whether they say it to you or not, now there is real joy. And you know what? They'll want it. Because if you really have joy, you will have what everyone wants. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look into our own lives sometimes, We see that we look for joy and we look for strength and we look at everything in this world except you to get it. And our Father, we we have a life that is dominated towards seeking happiness. And so we often fall short of joy. Because we can have happiness in a variety of ways, but we can only get joy through you. And so, our Father, turn our thinking around. Challenge us in new ways. And even though we've been Christians for years, we still don't always fix our eyes on you. So, God, begin to make that change in our life because we want the joy of the Lord in us as we go through this earthly journey with you. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.